1: And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business – Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today.
2: From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. There's this really old cemetery in Brattleboro. It's up above a roundabout on Putney Road. The graves have old Vermont names like Fairbanks and Porter. It's not a very peaceful cemetery.
3: Well, there's the interstate right behind us.
2: That would be I-91. And this guy...
3: Give me a minute.
2: <laughs> ...is Rich Holschuhl.
3: So we're walking across this relatively flat terrace, sprinkled with gravestones.
2: We're here so he can show me a grave he came across recently.
3: Here we go. This is the stone of Colonel John Sargent.
2: Sargent was a military commander way back before this was the United States. Here. Militia commander. He, he died in 1798. And his headstone says something that kind of makes you do a double take.
3: Who now lies in the same town he was born. And is the first person born in the state of Vermont? Um, let that sink in and uh, realize what they're saying there. They're making a statement on purpose.
2: It's a statement that Rich Holshue wants to correct.
3: In Rich, ta'indai'i wantastagak, My name is Rich. I live here in Brattleboro, Wontastagak.
2: That's Western Abenaki, you heard him speak. Rich traces his heritage to the Mi'kmaq tribe in Nova Scotia, It's part of the Wabanaki Confederacy, just like the Abenaki, who are here in Vermont. These are people who have been in our region for 12,000 years. In other words, just a few of them were born here before Colonel John Sargent.
3: The story is here, um, but it's been hidden. The Abenaki people, who were basically written out of the story, are still here.
2: This month on the podcast, the Abenaki in Vermont. (laughs) Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism podcast. I'm Angela Evansy.
0: And I'm Alex Keefe. Brave Little State is a show about curiosity.
2: Specifically, your curiosity about Vermont, our region, and its people.
0: Every month we put a handful of your questions up for a public vote. And this month, the winning question came from Bethany Latimer.
2: What is the status of the Abenaki Native Americans in Vermont today? We brought Bethany's questions straight to some of the people who can answer it best. Abenaki leaders from all over the state.
0: And hey, it's November, so we're just in time for Native American Heritage Month. Welcome. Brave
2: Little State is made possible by the VPR Journalism Fund and by Darn Tough Vermont.
0: For nearly 40 years, knitting premium quality all-weather performance socks in the sock capital of the world, Northfield, Vermont. Darn Tough is committed to making the most comfortable, durable, best-fitting socks money can buy.
2: What made me curious about this more than anything else was how little I have heard in the last
1: 35 years, which is how long I've lived in Vermont, about them.
2: Bethany Latimer asked her question about Vermont's Abenaki because they're pretty much a total mystery to her. She said she heard a radio story once about how their language is disappearing. She has some basic understanding of how colonization went. But on the whole, she has no good way of even, like, placing the Abenaki in modern-day Vermont.
1: Well, it's as as though they were ghosts, and I have no way to see who they are. I mean, I may be rubbing shoulders with them every day and not know it.
2: And there's another problem.
1: My children never learned about them in school.
2: Bethany is a former educator, and this lack of knowledge upsets her.
1: I think it's a shame. I think it's in some way wrong. I think that, you know, it's it's the sort of thing that we owe it to ourselves to know about.
2: Bethany wasn't able to help report this story, but I figured the best way to start on her question was to ask it, that exact same question, to every Abenaki Vermonter I talked with. The whole idea of this episode is to answer this huge question, right? Like, what is the status of the Abenaki in Vermont? If somebody came up to you and asked you that, what's your one or two sentence answer? I don't even know. We're here. (laughs) Yeah, that's it.
4: We're here. (laughs) Um, We've been here forever. Really, people need to know that we're here and not speak of us in a past tense. Or, yeah, you know, remember those Abenaki? I mean, we're still here. For the most part, they haven't gone anywhere, so they're still here.
2: We're still here. And we've always been here. If you're like Bethany and you know basically nothing about this subject, you might feel like okay, the Abenaki are still here, why is that such a big deal? And there are basically two big reasons. The first goes all the way back to the days of colonization, when Colonel John Sargent's people came on the scene.
5: I call it the Great Puritan Lie.
2: This is Chief Roger Longtoshian of the Elnu Abenaki.
5: Basically, the Puritans came in, wanted more land north of Massachusetts, went over to the king, and he said, well, what about my loyal native subjects? And they just like, oh, well, nobody really lives there. They just come down here and hunt and fish and then like seem to go away at night or something.
2: Flat out denial that there was a permanent Native American presence in this region. This went on until really recently. Like in 2002, the Vermont attorney general's office said that the Abenaki didn't have a continuous presence in Vermont because at one point they all migrated north to Canada. Here's Eugene Rich, the co-chair of the Missisquoi Abenaki Tribal Council.
6: There's never been a time when this tribe wasn't here. There is a time period which we weren't talked about, we didn't talk about ourselves, and people forget.
2: What Eugene just said alludes to the second reason that it's a big deal that the Abenaki are still here. Because starting in the 1930s, they were targeted by Vermont's eugenics program. This was a very dark chapter in Vermont's history. It involved coerced sterilization of the Abenaki. Also French Canadians, poor people, disabled people. The sterilizations plateaued around World War II, but by some accounts, they went on for much longer. Don Stevens is the chief of the Nulhegan Band of the Kusuk Abenaki Nation. And he says what happened is still impacting the Abenaki psyche.
4: I mean, my grandmother was on the survey. She changed her name three times. She was born as Lillian May, married as Pauline, and died as Delia, because she was trying to avert the survey. Um, And that was, she died in the 90s. I mean, you know, it's not that far away. (laughs) So there's still a lot of people that don't want to be on a list, if you know what I
2: mean. So for centuries, there was denial of the Abenaki's presence. And then persecution, with eugenics. And then, about five years ago, a change. It came in the form of something called state recognition. There was drumming at the state house to celebrate when the Vermont legislature and Governor Peter Shumlin said, yep, you're a tribe. And we acknowledge that you actually have been here all along. This happened in 2011 and 2012. One of the tribes to get recognition was the Kawasak Traditional Band of the Kowas Abenaki Nation. It was a
3: hard process. It was a long process.
2: Shirley Hook and her daughter Amy Hook-Tarian are members of the Council of Chiefs.
3: We're here. You know, we've been here forever. And they just recognized us. I mean,
1: Yeah, because people kept saying that there were no natives in Vermont and everything like that. And then finally it was like, ta-da, yeah, there are.
5: (laughs) And I'm honored to sign into law. The official recognition of your tribes that you have fought and sought for for so long congratulations
2: by 2012 a total of four tribes had state recognition so to get an answer to our question about the status of the abenaki today i talked to tribal leaders about how things have been going since thanks for having me the first person i met was chief roger long of the el abenaki oh, the el new are the smallest tribe about 60 members Roger lives in southern Vermont, in the town of Jamaica, with his wife Linda and their two dogs.
5: This is my high-tech dog guard.
2: I show up in the late morning, and Roger has a big pot of mushroom tea going on the stove.
5: Can you drink chaga? No. It's a tea made from a, it's a fungus that grows on the white and yellow birch trees that we collect. Um, it's also known as tender fungus.
2: Linda is also cooking a massive Italian meatloaf. And it's clear she is a culinary force.
4: This house is very tiny and we've had, I counted, 24 people for dinner in this house.
2: Their house is tiny and Linda barely has to get up from the kitchen table to get some of the crafts she's working on. These are different colors that I did. She shows me dyed porcupine quills that she made from a whole porcupine. It took me like 10 hours to dye it, cut it, pluck it.
5: The barbs are a little dangerous.
2: Linda also does twining and works with wampum, which are beads made from clamshells, and Roger makes stuff too. But they don't have much on hand because they've sold it all at powwows and historical events. It's something that
4: I do because it's part of my history, but it's also something that I love to do.
2: The sale of Native crafts was actually one of the main things to change when the Abenaki got state recognition. And of all the tribal leaders I talked to, Roger thought this was the biggest deal.
5: Before we had state recognition, whenever we made something, a, a pipe, a wampum bracelet, whatever, and we sold it, we had to say that we were of Abenaki descent. We couldn't say that we were Abenaki from such and such a tribe, all right? That's a, a federal law. So You could get hit with a $250,000 fine per item. So that's why having that recognition counts.
2: As for more informal recognition from folks in his part of the state, Roger says there isn't much.
5: Down here, there's a lot of people that are aware, more so of the history, but they don't know that there's actually a tribe here in southern Vermont.
2: In Roger's case, part of that has to do with the fact that he looks pretty white. The
5: average Vermonter, because I'm, I'm so light-skinned, other than if I take off my hat and they see my hairstyle, the shaved head... Maybe they'll notice the tattoos, which are traditional tattoos and stuff. Most of them just look at me as being Caucasian.
2: So there are definitely times when Roger has to remind people, we're still here.
5: There's just a little short story. Me and Mike Plant, we call him Frog. We had um, gone to a medieval thing, and so we, uh, we had all sorts of Viking shields and swords and spears and all sorts of things like that.
2: After this medieval reenactment thing, they went to the movies in Bella's Falls to see a late showing. And on the way home...
5: A state trooper pulls us over. We most likely figured we'd just come out of the bar, not realizing that, you know, we'd just come out of the movie. So we were as sober as church mice.
2: Roger says the trooper is looking for something to get them on.
5: I had uh, a medicine bag hanging off of the mirror. He says, uh, you can't have things hanging down up there. He says, what is that? I says, that's a medicine bag. And he looks at us kind of like, hmm. So he looked at my license, and of course my head's all shaved. Frog now, Frog has more of the stereotypical Indian look. And he goes and he comes and he looks at us, and he's like, you guys real Indians? We're like, yeah. And so, you know, we started explaining what it was, and I gather we, we said enough to him that he didn't want to hear anymore. So he's like, okay, okay, I believe you.
2: There might not be a ton of awareness but roger says he feels good about the work his and other tribes are doing to build unity and connect with the larger native community and he says things are much more open than they used to be even in the generation just before his
5: him and my uncle jackie my cousin vera's dad for years and years man anytime you would do anything that was native you know yeah, when i was in my late teens i had my head shaved and my ears pierced and things like that because i was an indian God, he was just gave me so much grief. I had to go get my driver's license, things like that, and stuff. He's like, oh, they won't give it to you because they'll, they'll know you're an Indian and all this other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, even in his age, he was still worried about it. it I don't think it is so much now. Now he's in his, his 70s, and, you know, it's like he's seeing all the stuff that we're doing and, and that people ain't giving us a hassle about it.
2: But Roger says this isn't something he takes for granted.
5: Things can change it all depends on who's running the world. I don't think that we're going to be completely extinguished again or or you know or have the eugenics come back, but you can never tell. So, never say never.
2: Roger and Linda ended up serving me some of that Italian meatloaf that was cooking. It was delicious. When I visited Shirley Hook, I got to sample her jalapeno relish.
3: Would you like to see the canning room? Yeah. It's a disaster.
2: Shirley is one of the co-chiefs of the Kawasek of the Coas, and her basement is ad full ad of ad enough pickled and canned veggies to weather I'm the next problem. Irene.
3: I got relishes like jalapeno, green tomato, shell beans,
2: kidney beans, and all sorts of pickles down there. Shirley is such a prolific a, gardener uh, that she has butter, two gardens sauces, at her home in West Braintree. And that's from the, just this year. One is for growing the food that she eats in cans, and the other is for seeds.
3: So this is the native garden. We grew, I think it was like nine types of beans.
2: These Abenaki crops are for a program called Seeds of Renewal. It's just to preserve them and to have them for further generations. Selflessness like this is basically Shirley's M.O., She's helping raise money to restore the West Braintree Town Hall, and she also works with an organization called Hope on the Rise. It teaches women who are cancer survivors how to fly fish.
1: Yeah, mom's always been definitely into making sure we do a
2: lot of fundraising and everything like that. This is Amy, Shirley's daughter. She's also a co chief. After 9 11, when she was in elementary school, she worked with Fred Tuttle to raise money for New York police officers and firefighters. They got their picture taken at the Tunbridge Fairgrounds and it ended up in People magazine. So we bought like a dozen copies, of course. And we got
3: one over the door and then <laughs> the, the picture of it.
2: Shirley and Amy spent a lot of time talking about this profound sense of belonging that they have with their tribe and their heritage, especially Shirley, who spent 17 years researching her genealogy to confirm her native roots.
3: It was like, wow, I belong. I think that's the thing, I belong.
2: And it's
1: great that we all can say that we're something different, but you always want to know what you are and where you come from, you know, because it's nice to have a place to
3: fit. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing right there. I I just want to belong to something, not a
2: club or something like that. I just want to have family. There's a pride that comes with this sense of belonging, but Amy says you can't always be super public about it. Do you feel like Vermonters who aren't native have an awareness of native history. And is it something that you sort of like openly talk about and share? Like do we
1: open up and share that we're native? Um, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes Sometimes, sometimes it's you. hard. Um Yeah. A lot of people think of natives as being like in the John Wayne films and darker skin, darker hair, and everything like that. And there's always this sense of people wanting you to prove it. I've been asked a couple times by people my age to show them my card, which is awesome. People have told me that I'm too white to be native, which is cool. That part's hard just because, you know, you want to be like, yeah, you know, and But some people just suck. (laughs) Have
2: you figured out a good way to respond to that?
1: No. I just look dumbfounded every time. (laughs) I know it sounds pretty lame because it's like, privileged little white girl um, saying all these things, and, you know, yes, I do, I'm very pale, and maybe I have had more privileges than other people, but it just sucks that people question.
2: Shirley Hook says one way to deal with this ignorance is to prevent it, by teaching about the Abenaki in Vermont schools. This is something almost everyone I talked to brought up. And it's true that there's no mandate from the Vermont Agency of Education when it comes to Abenaki curriculum. The agency leaves it up to the districts to decide if and how they teach it. Hello, how are you?
1: you? Good, how are you?
2: This really bothers Chief Don Stevens of the Nolhegan Band of the Kusuk Abenaki Nation. Chief Stevens lives on a quiet street in Shelburne. When I arrived, he started apologizing for what a mess his house was. His wife was preparing a photo show with pictures from her world travels. He's been to
4: Africa and uh, and she just got back from Peru.
2: By day, Chief Stevens manages IT for the counseling service of Addison County in Middlebury. He conducts tribal business whenever he has a spare moment.
4: It's not a paid position being chief, right? You do it because it's your heritage. So you do a lot of things off hours like I'm doing with you right now or on the weekends. And, of course, my wife always tries to remind me, uh, hey, you know, there's a balance.
2: I feel like I got to a first-name basis with a lot of people for this story, but not Chief Stevens. Talking to this man is like interviewing a high-powered politician.
4: Really, we need two things. We need uh, a museum or a place where people can go and get to know about who we are.
2: Chief Stevens' list actually has more than two things on it. In addition to a museum, he wants the Abenaki to have representation in the state so they can be part of things like Lake Champlain cleanup. He says the Commission on Native American Affairs should have funding so it can get more done. And he wants Abenaki history taught in Vermont schools.
4: Not just during Thanksgiving time. And we want people to be like, it could be their neighbor or their schoolmate that's sitting right next to them. That could be Abenaki and they would never even know it.
2: One thing Chief Stevens doesn't get political about is Native identity.
4: Well, I don't need a card to tell me who I am. You know, a Native card is just a legal thing to be able to sell arts and crafts, and, you know, being Native is in my heart, and that's what I tell everybody.
2: The most lit-up and animated Chief Stevens gets is when he talks about the Nolhegan tribal land in Barton.
4: You can grab the soil and smell it and know that your ancestors walked on it.
2: It's 68 acres. They use it for maple sugaring and growing Abenaki crops.
4: And it gives you that home. You know how sometimes you may come, say if you come from an old Vermont farm and your grandfather and your grandmother and his father lived there. And even if it may be sold, you always go by that place and say, "That's that was ours. So it gives us a huge sense of pride, even though it's small.
2: Pride features pretty prominently in the future that Abenaki leaders are trying to create for their kids. It's a new generation, that much further removed from the dismissal and the stigmatism. And it feels like kind of a turning point.
6: If we were going to sum up the state of where things are with the Abenakis right now, I would say change.
2: Again, here's Eugene Rich, the co-chair of the Missiskoi Abenaki Tribal Council, based in Swanton.
6: I think we're trying to change our public persona.
2: The tribe is doing more community events, like holiday meals, taekwondo lessons... They're also the only tribe really pushing for federal recognition. This is a big step up from state recognition with more opportunities for funding and other benefits.
6: I think there's gonna be a brighter future for our children, you know?
2: This is Chief Lawrence Lampman. He goes by Moose. And both he and Eugene talked about how important it is for kids to see the Abenaki flag displayed in their home state. And that makes sense, right? Because a flag is a very literal symbol of pride.
6: A couple years ago, MBU, Missisquai Valley, they uh, raised their flag up on their flagpole. You know, it's just things like that that, uh, you know, it gives these children pride.
2: Eugene told a story about going to his daughter's graduation last June from Johnson State.
6: They had a lot of flags hanging from the ceiling.
2: The program said the flags were from every country, state, and tribe represented in the graduating class.
6: And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking and looking, and there was no Abenaki flag.
2: So he went back to his tribal council, and they packed up a flag to send to Johnson State for next year.
6: Here you go. Next time you have one of our kids that graduates, you know, maybe recognize that with this flag. So, again, it's just positive recognition and giving our kids a sense of pride. Because my daughter would have enjoyed that.
2: Of course, there's no better way to groom the next generation than with some song and dance. Three times a week, the Title VII Indian Education Program Swan turns a basement space into an Abenaki drum circle. It's called Circle of Courage.
1: Um, our teacher picks certain type of people to go up in the drum first, or second, or last, and um, we do certain type of songs like the candy dance and hunting,
2: and um, all sorts of ones. When we tap our feet at the circle, we can't have our hands in the pockets because they didn't have pockets. That was Lana and Jasmine. Lily shares a key drumming technique. It's really fun,
1: but we have to um, only use our wrists and not our arms. Remember,
3: you just your wrist. You're wasting a lot of energy just using the whole arm.
2: Brenda Gagné has been running the program for 22 years. She clearly loves it, though her teaching style verges on
3: the militant. Jasmine, you're going to start it. Where should you be? Lily, you're going to end it. Where should you be? Our culture is very serious in teaching it because we don't want it to be lost.
2: Brenda's also doing her part to keep the Abenaki language alive by teaching the kids basic vocab. Hello, friend is Kwe Kwe Mondoba.
1: Food up is whale. Miko is squirrel. Malsum is
2: wolf. And Azaban is Raccoon. That was Jasmine again, and also Colby. And talking to all these kids, it becomes abundantly clear that the Abenaki are still here. And then some.
0: That piece was reported and produced by Angela Evansy. And you can see portraits of the people in this episode at BraveLittleState.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show this month. If you want to be a part of the Brave Little State experience, submit your own question about Vermont over at BraveLittleState.org. And while you're there, you can also vote on the question you want us to tackle next.
2: Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the
0: VPR Journalism Fund. And from Darn Tough, Vermont, knitting premium quality all-weather performance socks for all of life's active pursuits. Still made locally in Northfield, Vermont, and guaranteed for life. Visit them at darntough.com.
2: Editing help this month came from John Dillon. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music in this episode by Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions.
0: Here at VPR, there are lots and lots of people who make the podcast possible. This month, a very special shout out to Ty Robertson and Michelle Owens, who made us some nifty, brave little state stickers that we're very, very excited to pass around.
2: We'll be back next month with a question about farming and heritage.
1: Can you trace the history of a Vermont farm throughout
2: the years?
0: Until then, you can help the podcast out by leaving us a review on iTunes and find us on Twitter and Instagram at BravestateVT.
2: And remember be brave, ask questions.
5: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind.